I think the song said it well, O night divine, O night divine. There is a beautiful Christmas carol, and the carol asks this question, what child is this who was laid to rest on Mary's lap is sleeping? What child is this? I mean, who is this child who determines the eternal destiny of every human who has ever or will ever be born? Who is this child? And I want you to turn in the Bible, and there's one under every third seat in, the, in our chairs, but I want you to turn to Luke's gospel. Luke's gospel. Because there we find, I don't know if I would call it obscure, but a wonderful passage with a wonderful man, but an even greater baby, and the testimony of this man. I want to turn you to Luke chapter 2, and there Simeon is going to testify that this child is the fulfillment of messianic hope, that he is the promised Messiah of the Old Testament. And I'll allow maybe the text just to be read as we go through, so I'll take it a little different, but this guy is, his role was amazing. And what I want us to see briefly here is two truths that come out of Luke 2, 25 through 35, that proclaim the absolute significance of our Savior's birth and then your response to it. Two truths on his birth that, and your response to it. First, I'll just, we'll look at out of the text that Jesus determines your salvation, and I'll speak it uh, to you, your, it would, he determines everyone's salvation depending on what they do with him. And then secondly, that Jesus determines your destiny. So he determines your salvation and he determines your destiny. Let's look at the first one, that he determines your salvation. And let's just pick up the text in verse 25. Luke 2, 25. Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And this man was righteous and devout, and he's waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Bible says that the Holy Spirit was upon him. Let's meet this guy first. We find him in Luke's gospel. His name is Simeon. You say, well, what, what more do we know about him? Well... Not a whole lot in this sense that Simeon bears no title other than his name. We find no record that he would be a high priest. You might ask the question, does he have a family? And I would say we, we don't know. But he is in Luke's gospel as he set out to make this accurate account. Simeon is a credible witness of our Lord's birth. He's testifying on this baby. 
Now, what he doesn't have in title or maybe family background, he does have in character. If you look at the text in verse 25, it says, this man was first, he was righteous. It's not the only one that would be described as righteous in the birth account. Joseph in Matthew 1 was a righteous man. Mary, Elizabeth, and Zacharias were righteous people in Luke chapter 1. What do you mean righteous? I think it just means that they were justified before God. They had a righteousness that God gives them. Certainly that righteousness was lived out, but here they're righteous. They're in Christ. They're the people of God, the, the family of God. But note that he's not just righteous. Look back in 25. It says that he is devout. The idea would be not only is he right before God, but he's devout. He's sanctified or he's holy. The word carries the idea of being very careful in his duties before the Lord. Here he is, at least in the temple that day, that the ideal is that he carried out the Jewish law before God. He was responsible, if you will. He was devout, the ideal of reverence. But then look at the third phrase that describes him in 25, maybe the best here. He's waiting for the consolation of Israel. Now you say, what does that mean? He's waiting for. So if you can picture this man, and by the way, this is not his birth. We're about 40 days after his birth. I'll explain that for a moment. But he's righteous, he's devout, and he is waiting, it says there, for this consolation. It is a phrase of messianic hope. It is a phrase of comfort or consolation. It's the ideal of blessing, peace. It's the joy promised in the Old Testament regarding the coming of the Messiah. So he's righteous, he's devout, he's waiting for the coming Messiah who would bring this consolation. He's waiting for the Messiah who would bring the kingdom that was promised to David in the Davidic covenant. And in that covenant, the blessings that would come with Messiah. In fact, just put yourself back in this time. Times were politically corrupt. I'm sure much like our own, they were corrupt under Herod. They were religiously harsh under the Pharisees. If at this moment in time you can add the, the fact that there were nearly 400 silent years, and then in the midst of this darkness, Simeon, as this older man, I think he's older, maybe Anna in the next passage was well into her 80s. I think Simeon is an older man. And it's in the midst of this darkness, Simeon was waiting for the consolation of the Messiah. Now, there's scriptures that speak of this comfort and consolation. I'll just give a few to you. Um, comfort would come to a captive people. The Jewish people, that's the thought out of the Old Testament, that it would come to a captive people in a foreign land. In fact, it says this in Isaiah 40 verse 1, comfort, O oh comfort, my people, says your God, there's coming a time when Israel's warfare will end and iniquity will be removed. 
And so this is a theme out of the Old Testament through a difficult situation that Israel would find himself them in, that the Messiah would come and he would deliver them. So there was consolation. There was comfort. Isaiah 51, 3 says, indeed, the Lord will comfort Zion. He will comfort all her waste places, all her wilderness. He will make like Eden joy and gladness will be found in her. And these are promises not only of the Messiah's coming, but even that messianic kingdom that will come still yet in our future. Maybe the best passage of all is Isaiah 61, where it says that the spirit of the Lord is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of the prison to those who are bound, to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord's favor, the day of vengeance of our God to comfort all who mourn. That's what the Messiah would do. Now, maybe you're thinking as a Bible student here, Jesus read that text in 61, read Isaiah right there in the temple. He closed the book and said, this scripture has been what? Fulfilled. So whatever the Old Testament was talking about in terms of consolation, in terms of comfort that the Messiah would bring, that was fulfilled in the Lord Jesus Christ. So he's righteous, he's devout, he's waiting for the consolation and comfort of the coming Messiah who would bring salvation to Israel. Now Simeon here receives divine help. Look at the text at the end of verse 25. It says, and the Holy Spirit was upon him and it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. So here is this dear older man. I wanna meet this guy in heaven where the Holy Spirit was upon him, he reveals to Simeon that before he died, he would see the Lord's Christ. You say, well, what happened? Look at the text in verse 27. And he came in the Spirit into the temple when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do according to the custom of the law. What a precious text. He, he comes in the spirit into the temple just as Mary and Joseph are bringing in the child Jesus to carry out the custom of the law. You say, well, why were Mary and Joseph in the temple that day? I'll show you. Just look back in 2.21. It says, at the end of eight days, and I'm in Luke, when he was circumcised. So Jesus has been born here, obviously in Luke 2. At the end of eight days, he's circumcised. He was called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. And when the time came... 
for the purification according to the law of Moses, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. This is in the Old Testament. This is in Leviticus 13, Exodus chapter 12. They're carrying out the custom of the Jewish law. You say, well, what is that? Look in the text. Verse 23, as it is written in the law of the Lord, every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord. They're fulfilling Exodus 13. And verse 24, to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. That's Leviticus chapter 12. And so, listen, here's the thought. It's probably close to 40 days later. This guy is waiting for the consolation of the Messiah. The parents walk into the temple that day to fulfill this, I call it baby dedication, if you will. And in walks, prompted by the Spirit of God, Simeon. You say, well, what happened? Look at the text in verse 28. He, Simeon, took him up in his arms and blessed God. You say, well, how did Simeon know? I don't know, but we do know that the Holy Spirit was leading him. Maybe as they came in, that strong internal impression on his his heart, there he is. That is the one that you've been waiting for. That is the one you've been hoping for. That is the one you've spent your life worshiping and waiting for. He's here. He's on the scene. So Simeon goes up in verse 28. Can you imagine that day? That day that 40 days later. And he, it says that he blessed God, but he took him in his arms. And the, the word there just means, as we would understand, that he cradled baby Jesus in his arms, okay? How he knew it was Christ, scripture does not tell us. But we know that the spirit had divinely revealed to him that he was indeed the Messiah that he and many others were waiting for. You know, I had the privilege even this week to go over to my daughter and son-in-law's house just briefly and get a hold Tommy Bow. And it's, I just go over to hold him. You say, what else do you do? Well, I go over to hold him. He's just, he's just, he's a precious child just to hold him in my arms. He's a beautiful boy, but Simeon, if you can go back to this moment in the temple, it's not just holding a baby. He's holding God in his arms. The God of the universe the creator of the world that we read from on the screen in John 1, the sustainer of the world is in the arms of Simeon. And then you say, well, what does Simeon do or say? Look at the text in verse 29. He says, Lord now, or some translations say, now Lord, watch this. You are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. Listen, I I can't capture this. He was so ecstatic that Simeon, once he held this baby, is ready to die. 
He's ready. He's only been hanging on for this moment. And now he's ready to depart in peace. In other words, the servant of God is released by his master from his duty as a watchman waiting for Israel's consolation because he's holding that consolation in his arms. Now, look at that phrase there in verse 29, Lord, now. It is known in history as the nunc dimittis. Nunc dimittis. And what that means is it comes from two words from a Latin translation that just means now dismiss is the thought, okay? And so Simeon says, let me die. Now, Lord, let me depart in peace. Because he knew at that moment that, this would, that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Christ, verse 26, and now he's staring him in the face. Now, it's interesting. Look down again at, at 29. It says, Lord, now... You would think that the word Lord, if, if you've been with me for some years, you would think that the word he uses is kurios, which is the very common name for Lord. It's actually a more common name for the Lord in the New Testament, but he doesn't. He uses the word despotes, okay? which is, it, it's Lord in that, but the ideal of that phrase is that he's sovereign master. So what Simeon is saying here is now, sovereign master, you can let your slave die in peace according to your word. It's done, I'm ready to go. Now you might sit there and say, okay, what a, what a statement. What a clarification there that he's ready. Why does he say that? Look at verse 30. Here's why he says it. It says in verse 30, for my eyes, what a statement, have seen your salvation. Wow. Simeon calls this child, Jesus, God's salvation. Now, obviously, it's an important point, salvation in the New Testament is not something you do. Salvation is someone you know. And he's holding in his hands your salvation, he says. In other words, it comes, beloved, through Jesus Christ. Jesus is the fulfillment of Old Testament prophecy regarding the coming Messiah. He brings with him salvation. If your hands open in Luke 1, just... Turn back a chapter, in, in, if it was in Luke 2, look back to Luke chapter 1. Here in Zechariah's prophecy, here as, as he's filled with the Holy Spirit, he says in 169 that he has raised up a horn of salvation for us. In other words, that child that would come, obviously John the Baptist would be the forerunner, but that child who would come would be the horn of salvation. In other words, that promise out of the Old Testament. Look at 171 here in Zechariah's prophecies where he says that we would be or should be, 171, saved from our enemies. 
In other words, it brings salvation from the enemies, thus the consolation. But look, in 171, this child that would be born, look back in, in 76, excuse me, and you child will be called the prophet of the Most High, for, uh, for you will go on before the Lord to prepare his ways, John the Baptist would, verse 77, to give knowledge of salvation to his people, and then in 177, in the, what? The forgiveness of sins. So it's just shocking, he's holding in his arms, not just a baby, but the one who would bring salvation, not just to the Jewish people, not just to America, but I would say he would bring salvation, shocking statement, to the whole world. In other words, it's not just for the, the Jewish people only. Say, why do I say that? Look at verse 31. He says, and I'm in chapter two, that you have prepared, for my eyes have seen your salvation, that you have prepared in the presence, uh, what does it say there? Of all peoples, of all peoples. In fact, is this not Luke's announcement in 2.10? For behold, I bring you good, no, good news of great joy, which shall be for what? All the peoples. In fact, he goes on to say, look at verse 32. It's in the presence of all peoples, a light of revelation for the Gentiles. The light is Christ. He said, I am the light of the world. This light comes to the Gentiles and the Gentiles are often described as being in the darkness. In fact, look back at Luke chapter one again. You can see this theme running through. To give light in 179 to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. And so he he brings light to those in darkness. And again, mostly describing the Gentiles. In fact, you remember in Isaiah 9-2 that the people who walk in darkness, in Isaiah 9-2, will see a great light. And those who live in a dark land, the light will shine upon them. And so here's a wonderful promise not only is the Savior born, but he's born for all the peoples. He's born for all the nations. He comes as a light in the world. He is the determiner here of salvation. Isaiah the prophet in 49.6 said, It is too small a thing, is it too small, that you should be my servant to raise up from the tribes of Jacob and to, and to restore the preserved ones of Israel? And then he says, I will make you a light of the nations so salvation may reach, I love that phrase, to the ends of the earth. So the one who was born is not just a baby. He's God's only begotten son. He's born into this world, but he is the one that gives salvation by way of not only his birth, his life, but also his death, and it comes for the ends of the earth. In fact, you know the promise well, for God so loved the, what? 
the world, not just the Jewish people. In fact, some people say, you know, they criticize Christianity as though it's a religion of the West. I don't think so. He was born in the East, right? And this salvation that he brings, this forgiveness of sins is for all the nations. But not just all the nations. Look at verse 32 again, 232 of Luke. He's a light of revelation to the Gentiles. And watch this. And for glory to your people, Israel. So the Messiah is a light to the Gentiles. He's glory to God's people, Israel. In fact, Isaiah spoke of this in 52.10, that the Lord has bared his holy arm in the sight, it says there, of all nations, that all the ends of the earth may see the salvation of our God. So here is the scope. Here is the, the extent, if you will, of salvation. It goes to all of the world. You say now... He, he's proclaiming this. He, is he not? Simeon, my eyes. He's saying this to Mary and Joseph. He, he's prepared in the presence for all peoples, to the Gentiles, but also to Israel. You say, well, how did Mary and Joseph respond? Look at the next verse. They just walk in the temple. They, of course, knew the shepherds. They knew the wise men, right, that had come. But, but this is in the temple at the dedication. How do they respond? Look at verse 33. And the father and his mother, it says, marveled at what was said about him. They were marveling. They were amazed at what the Lord had just said. In other words, this is not just a cute kid. This is the savior of the whole world. And they were amazed. Did not Luke, as he continues in the book of Acts, say in Acts 4 that Jesus is the stone which was rejected by you, the builders which has become the cornerstone, and there is salvation in what? No one else. For there is no other, what? Name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. And so, beloved, he is the determiner of salvation. And I would say that to you as well this morning. Remember when the angel said, finish the statement in Matthew 1.21, she will bear a son and you shall call his name Jesus for he shall save his people from their, what? Sins. The one who was born was the long-awaited one, the comfort, the consolation. He brings salvation, and he will bring salvation, not just in his birth, but in his life. And of course, you have to read to the end of Luke to see his death, to see his resurrection, that whoever places their faith in him, they are saved from their sins. To be saved from your sins isn't the right that someone confers on you. It is not something you do. It is something that God has done through his son, by his death on the cross, through the agency of faith. And when you know him in that way, 
you know salvation. You know the forgiveness of your sins. Do you remember? Certainly you do. When we exposited from the gospel of John, when John the Baptist set his eyes the first time on the Lord Jesus Christ and he said, behold, the lamb of what? God who takes away the what? The sin of the world. And he does that, not by something you do, he does that through his death and by faith through his resurrection that we have in him. In fact, let let me put it this way. It's Christmas Sunday and the apostle John in 1 John 3, 5 said this to you by the spirit of God. He said it to those believers then, but he says, you know You know that he appeared, here's why, in order to take away sins. That's why he came. It's not just that he's a teacher. It's not just that he's a rabbi. It's not just that he's a historical figure. He, according to the reading this morning, is God in the flesh. And John says, you know that he appeared, 1 John 3, 5, It says in order to take away sins, and then the Bible says in 3, 5, and in him there is no sin. So he goes to the cross for you to take away your sins, and the way that's accessed is not through deeds, you know that, it's through his death and through faith in Christ. So not only does he determine your salvation, but secondly, I note this, he determines your destiny. He determines your destiny because Simeon said something to them. Not only were they marveling and amazed, but what he said is even more amazing. Look at verse 34. And Simeon, now he's not a prophet that we know of. He's not a priest, but he's a man waiting. He's righteous, he's devout, he's waiting. And it says in 34 that he blessed them and amazingly said, To marry his mother, behold, this child is appointed. In other words, he's come for this reason. Look at it in 34. For the fall and rising of many in Israel and as a sign uh, that is opposed. You say, what does that mean? Well, I, I think you get it by reading it. His coming, the virtue of his birth, the virtue of his life, the virtue of his death, the virtue of the scriptures that reveal Christ draws a line in the sand concerning everyone's response to him. You either fall in unbelief or you rise in belief And your relationship with this child determines your eternal destiny. A stunning statement. You can't take him or leave him. You can't say that he's good for some, but not others. Your salvation is dependent on this child. And your destiny, your eternal destiny is going to be drawn with what you do with this child and with this life. 
Let me read 1 Peter 2 and I'll put it in the language of the apostle Peter. He says, coming to him as a living stone, which has been rejected by men, but it's choice and precious in the sight of God. You also as living stones are being built up as a spiritual house for a holy priesthood to offer up sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For this is contained in the scripture. Behold, I lay in Zion a choice stone, a precious stone, and he who believes in him will not be disappointed. This precious value then is for you who believe. In other words, he's precious to you who believe, and those who believe will be the rise, it says there in the text. But Peter continues in 1 Peter 2, 7 and 8, but for those who disbelieve, the stone which the builders rejected, this became the very cornerstone, and then it's called a stone of stumbling, a rock of offense, for they stumble because they are disobedient to the word. I mean, this is a very strong word from Simeon, is it not? He's not throwing you fluff on Christmas. He's not throwing you nice stories and Christmas carols, though they're fun to sing. He's saying that this very one who was born is not only your salvation, but he's the determiner of your eternal destiny. Some will rise to faith and others will fall because they're disobedient to the word. And of course, this has rich language in the Old Testament. In Isaiah 8, 14 and 15, there it's called a stone of stumbling. In other words, Jesus is gonna cost people and cause them to stumble because of his person. He's going to be a rock of offense. It says in 8.15 of Isaiah, many shall stumble. It says in Isaiah 8 that they they shall fall and not be broken. Listen, I have to admit to you that when I got into this part, I thought, oh, this just doesn't come off as so easy to our our ears. Listen, I don't know what you make up of the person of Christ, but this is what Simeon said. He's giving Mary a prophetic word that your child is going to be for the fall and the rising of many people. The divider of destinies. He brings salvation to those who believe or he's a stone of stumbling to those who reject. Look at the end of verse 34. He says, and for, have you ever seen this? A sign that is, what? Opposed. In other words, he will be mocked. He will be slandered. He will be opposed. He's telling Mary this. Maybe at the 40th day. You say, well, that's kind of uh, crushing, I, I suppose. Or maybe it's just kind to tell Mary what would happen to the Savior. He's not just a child, but he's going to be for the fall and for the rise of many. And then he's going to be a a sign that is opposed. He's going to be slandered. He's going to be mocked. You, You know, it says in Matthew, I think this will come up on the screen, do... Do not think that I have come to bring peace to the earth. 
He said, I have not come to bring peace, but a what? A sword. Now, you, you say, but he did bring peace. Well, yeah, look, look back just for a moment. Same chapter, Luke 2, 6 to 14. Let me just clarify something for you. Actually, in 2, 13, suddenly there was, a, was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts, and you know this, praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest, and on earth, what? Peace. And sometimes we stop. He never said that it was peace on earth for all. Look, look at the text in 2.14. And on earth, on, on, on earth, peace, here's, it's qualified, among those with whom he is pleased. On whom his sovereign pleasure rests. So he brings peace, but it's on whom it actually rests. That's certainly not the whole earth. So I'm just saying, and I'm not trying to be uh, pejorative here, but Jesus said, I came not to bring peace, but a sword. I've come to set a man against his father. Jesus said this, and a daughter against her mother, and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law, and a person's enemies will be those of his own household. Whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me, and whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me, and whoever does not take up his cross and follow me is not worthy of me, and whoever finds his life here is going to lose it, and whoever loses his life here for my sake, will find it. He is going to drive people to a destiny. And you either place your faith in him and hope in him and love for him through faith or you fall and it becomes a stumbling stone, but he's held out for you. He's for all the people's. He's for all the nations. He's the light in a dark world. And I want you to know, how can I say this? I'm trusting it's by the Spirit of God. Every single one of you who sit in here have to respond to this child. You have to. You can't say, I don't know if it's for me. I'm visiting today. No, it is for you. I, I don't know if I could, if it's for me because maybe I'm too for, no, he can bring peace and the forgiveness of all your sins. You have to deal with him. Listen, I'm just trying to tell you what Simeon said in the temple that day, but that's not all he said. Would you look at the last statement? He said this to Mary and a sword. Imagine if you're at a baby dedication and this is what some older man said. A sword will pierce through your own soul. I, I take it, do you not, that it will not only pierce through your son on the cross, but Mary, he's appointed for this, and a sword is even going to pierce through your own soul as well. And it speaks of Mary's suffering, it speaks of Mary's sorrow as she would bear this as the mother of the Messiah. Those aren't easy words, are they? 
But maybe it's an act of kindness for Simeon to say, listen, he's appointed to this end. But you see that little phrase there, a sword will pierce through your own soul. In other words, it's going through Christ. As one said, speaking of Christ, here's the side to the Christmas story that isn't often told, those soft little hands fashioned by the Holy Spirit in Mary's wombs were made so that nails might be driven through them. Those baby feet, pink and unable to walk, would one day walk up a dusty hill to be nailed to a cross. That tender, warm, and soft body wrapped in swaddling clothes would one day be ripped open by a spear. Listen, beloved, Jesus was born, but he was born to die all at the same time. This was foretold at the beginning of his life, 40 days into his birth. Imagine being Mary and Joseph that day. I mean, if you're a parent and if you're a grandparent, what is more near and dear to your own heart than your own children and grandchildren? Nothing. And to have this prophesied at this dedication is amazing. You say, well, why did he say this? Look at the very last line and we're all done. So that thoughts from many hearts may be, what? Revealed. His coming divides those who accept him and those who reject him. His life determines your salvation. His life determines your destiny. And my question is, is, What is your response to him? Now you've gathered here on Christmas Sunday. I'm so glad. No better place to be, amen, than worshiping around the Savior. But what's your response to this child? If you're a guest today, we're so glad you're here. Maybe these are things to talk talk with and about as you go home. Listen, would you bow your head? I'm gonna call the worship team up. We're gonna sing a little bit more. Maybe just as your head is bowed, this song always comes back to me at this season. It's a song by Mark Lowry, and it goes like this. Some of you know it. Mary, did you know that your baby boy will give sight to the blind. Mary, did you know that your baby boy would calm a storm with his hand? Mary, did you know that your baby boy has walked where angels trod? That when you kiss your little baby, you've kissed the face of God. Mary, did you know that your baby boy is Lord of all creation? Mary, did you know that your baby boy will one day rule the nations? Did you know that your baby boy was heaven's perfect lamb? The sleeping child you're holding is the great I am. Listen, this is a time of unbelievable joy for the believer, is it not? that if you know the sweetness of the forgiveness of all your sins, then take a moment and praise God even right now.